0: All right, Daniel chapter 2. So, we are looking way back, 600 years prior to Jesus Christ, but the wonderful thing about Daniel is Daniel foretells secular history he foretells and prophesies the kingdoms that will arise and even a kingdom that has yet to arise in this world. Three of them have, or four of them have, and the fourth one has yet to arise. And we'll be looking at that through Daniel. But it's very appropriate for us at this time to be looking at Daniel because he does talk a lot about the last days and what those would look like. And so the history of where we're at is in 605 B.C., What has happened is you had this nation called the Assyrians. They were extremely evil. Think of Jonah. Jonah went to the Assyrians to try to get them to repent. And after the Assyrians, though, these people called the Babylonians came in and they wiped out the Assyrians. The remaining Assyrians went south and they got the Egyptians to join their cause because the Egyptians didn't want to be wiped out by the Babylonians. And so as the Egyptians were marching their army to go up to Um, battle back the Babylonians, the Assyrians were finally completely conquered, and the Egyptians were pushed back by the Babylonians into Egypt. As the Babylonians came down through Israel, they went and they besieged and took over Jerusalem. Now, the first time they came, they were interrupted in the middle of it, and so they just took their choicest men, young men, and Daniel and his three friends, that are the main part of the book of Daniel, as far as the narrative, the story goes, are, are, are what we focused on. But in that first besieging, they they took away these young men, and they took away the best men in order to make them Babylonian-style leaders, so that the rest of the Jews would just follow after them. And so this is what happened. Now it took about 15 years for. Israel to be, or um, Jerusalem to be completely cleared out and wiped out, but eventually it was, and it was foretold that they would be. And so Daniel is taken back to Babylon. We looked at chapter one where he resisted being completely inculcated into the Babylonian religion and lifestyle. And so we looked at that resistance and the integrity that he had. Now understand, again, an item about Daniel's life that is important for us is Daniel faithfully served the Lord as a a practicing Jew. At the same time, he also faithfully, with integrity and principle, served a pagan king as much as he could. Now we know he disobeyed his pagan kings when it came down, down to certain things, but he wasn't just rebellious against them. And isn't that all of our lives as we try to seek the Lord in this world? It's a crazy world. I mean, taxes are due next week. Sorry to bum everybody out, <laughs> right? But they're, they're due next week. And it's like, well, what do we do about that? And, and this world is so secular. And so Daniel gives us such an incredible balance that he doesn't lose his witness, but he also doesn't lose his integrity at the same time. And so it's a very, very important book, and he's a very important character to us, even in the New Testament. So we're going to be starting off in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 1. And it reads, now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. And so he had this dream and we can have dreams, some people have more dreams than other people, some people remember their dreams, or if you're like me, you never think you dream because you don't ever remember your dreams, and I don't. But this king has this dream, and he's very troubled. Now understand, there have been times in history where God will give a person direction in their life through dreams. Remember previous to this, Joseph, one of the the sons of Israel, he had dreams that foretold his future. Pharaoh, who he was serving under, also had dreams, and these dreams led to Joseph himself being second in command, or the second most powerful person on earth during that time. And so Nebuchadnezzar, like Pharaoh, was the strongest person in this part of the world at that time, and like Pharaoh, God gave Nebuchadnezzar certain dreams And he was going to guide him, reveal things to him, and guide history through these particular dreams. Now, God can speak today through dreams, okay? He can do that. The prophet Joel said, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Now, this is what... Peter uh, quoted, he quoted Joel on the day of Pentecost, and he says, this will happen. And it's funny, it says, your old men will dream dreams. So if you guys have dreams, it means you're old. (laughs) I don't know if I do, so I'm still in the young category. (laughs) But the thing is, if you're having dreams that might actually mean something, you, you, you need to to make sure that you don't put too much emphasis on those dreams, right? Because dreams can be from various different places, right? They can be from God, they can be from Satan, they can be from what you've been focusing on during the week, they can be bad pizza. Who knows, you know? It's like they can be all kinds of different things, right? And in the New Testament, the benefit we have is we are to test all things and hold on to that which is true. And my belief is this, that God sets parameters, and especially for us in the New Testament, because the word of God is complete, okay, but he sets parameters by the word of God. For example, the word of God says, do not be unequally yoked to an unbeliever, and the context is marriage. And marriage certainly, it connects you with someone to where if they move this direction, you're gonna be pulled in that direction, right? So believers are supposed to marry other believers. God doesn't talk about race, He talks about belief system. Okay? So God created all races, right? It's it's not about mixed marriages as far as race, but as far as faith goes, that causes a problem. So believers are supposed to marry believers. So if you know that true is true, now you have the fence and now you're in the middle of this, this playground, as it were, to live life. So who are you specifically supposed to marry? That's a little, is that important? It is important, right? Does God tell you who you're supposed to marry specifically in the scriptures? But can he tell you specifically through spiritual means or through him being alive and desiring to communicate that to you? I believe so. I believe this is much of what the spiritual gifts do. This is where I believe spiritual revelation, that unction in the heart you know, when you get in your car and that radio plays, and it's like, oh, man. And then someone says, you know, I was praying for you, and I got this message, I, I got this verse on my heart, and I don't know what it's for, but here's your, here's your verse or whatever. Or you're in a prayer meeting, someone's praying a certain way, you turn on the radio again, and there's someone preaching a sermon, and it's all the same stinking message. And you're like, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it, you know? And so this is God bringing you into the details Right, And I think God is a God that's not silent, says 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He loves to speak to us and he wants us to hear and listen. So that can be through specific dreams, but you're supposed to test those dreams. Now understand, a prophet in the Old Testament is the same as a prophet in the New Testament except in the Old Testament, we didn't have the word of God completed. And so in the Old Testament, when a prophet prophesied in the name of God, they were speaking on god's behalf they were creating the word of god weren't they and in the old testament since they only gave sacrifices which were temporary um, ways to cover over their sin and then the next year they'd have to give a sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice the holy spirit would come on the prophet he would prophesy and then the holy spirit would depart but in the new testament God says I will never leave you or forsake you and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you and Paul tells the Corinthians they have become what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit lives with us full time. Now how and why can that happen? Well, in the Old Testament, they gave sacrifice that merely covered over the sins, the blood of bulls and goats. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ came as a human being to die for all of your sins so that your sins are permanently gone, and he forever lives to intercede for us. Therefore, the Holy Spirit can dwell with us full time. We have the completed scripture, and here's the thing. If someone comes up to you and they say, well, the Lord laid this upon my heart, I want to I share something with you, and they tell you, you have just as much as the Holy Spirit and just as much access to the Holy Spirit as they do. And therefore, Paul writes in First Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, do not despise prophecies, but test all things and hold on to that which is true. And what do you test it against? The word of God. Right. And if it's against the word of God. So, for example, if, you know, someone says you must marry this person and this person isn't a believer, you're going to go, nope, that's not the word of God. And now you're supposed to ignore them. In the Old Testament, a prophet could be killed in the New Testament. If someone's wrong, they're just supposed to no. you just hold on to that, which is true. And you dismiss that, which is false. You see how different it is. God hasn't changed, prophecy hasn't changed, but our situation has changed because now we're full-time in Christ because of what he did. The Holy Spirit dwells with us full-time, okay? So here's the thing, many times people come to me and they go, I had this really vivid dream, and I, and I go, okay, I go, sometimes, you know, God can speak through dreams, but not all the time, and you have the sure word of God. And they'll tell me their dream, and I go, well, you know what, it seems to me that that doesn't line up with the scripture. So I would dismiss that dream. If, if I were you, I would just dismiss that dream. Or they'll say something and I go, eh, you know, it may or may not be, I don't know. I don't know what God's will is for you, but keep on praying. Because the thing is, you know, a lot of people say, well, why can't the Holy Spirit speak directly to me? He often is, and we're not listening. And so he wants to make sure, especially on those big decisions that you're making, whether you're moving, what job to take, who to marry, You know these, these large decisions, what does the Lord do? He gives you a lot of information in the right direction and if you're patient, you're praying, you're in God's word and you're seeking wise counsel and you're testing all things and holding on to that, which is true, you're gonna make darn good decisions, aren't you? Right? And so that's how I see it works today. So a lot of people are like, oh, this dream, this, and this is what God told me to do, but the word of God says this, oh, but this is what my dream said. I'm like, well, forget your dream. <laughs> you know, because it could be wrong. But at the same time, it could be God moving you in a certain direction. I'm in Corpus Christi because people prayed for me and and they said certain things over me and I go, well, that's interesting, we'll see how that bears out. And it bore out and here I am. You know, it's just, so some things work and a lot of times people will come up to me and say all kinds of things. I'm like, oh, okay, thank you so much for that. And then I'm like, I don't think it lines up and I walk away from it and it's okay. So anyways, be careful about the, the amount of importance you, you place on your dreams, especially today when we have the complete word of God and we can test it and hold on to that, which is true. I went really long. Some of you are like, whatever. And others of you are like totally interested in that. But I went long because it is, it is something people struggle with today. It says in Jeremiah twenty three twenty eight, the prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord. And so if you have a dream that opposes the word of God, it's chaff. And the wheat is what makes you healthy. The chaff is what you choke on. And so you want to make sure. And you can wait upon the Lord, and he will give you the right direction. So God can speak today through dreams, right? So Jeremiah says the word of God is there to be the standard, right? So, anyway, so he has his dream, and we do understand, as it is included in the scriptures and it is interpreted by Daniel, that this is a dream from God that is very, very important to us today. So, Daniel chapter 2, verse 2, it says Then the king gave the demand to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dream. So they came and they stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have had a dream and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will give the interpretation. Now another unique thing about the book of Daniel is you always hear the Bible is Hebrew and Greek. It's actually Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And this is a section from from here, chapter two, Uh, through chapter seven, where it's in Aramaic. It's actually written down in Aramaic. Hebrew was what the Jews spoke. Aramaic was what the general population spoke. Later on, it would be Latin, okay? But here, it's Aramaic. And the reason is, is because so much of Daniel talks about non-Jewish history being laid out. And it takes place in Babylon, a non-Jewish place. And so God is still trying to reach all the nations through what God is doing in the Jews in this secular nation. So it makes sense. And so you have these different languages represented here, right? And so they come to the king, these Chaldeans, these wise men, who use occultic arts to try to decipher things, They come to the king and they said, tell your servants the dream and we will give you the interpretation. Now, verse five goes on. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. There's a little twist in the story, right? Because they had ways, they had books on how to interpret dreams. This was a profession that they were involved in. And they made good money advising the king with their occultic arts. And so they're going, give us the dream. And the king says, no, if you're really spiritual, if you're really worth your salt, you'll tell me the dream first and then you will interpret it for me. And they're going, oh no, we got a problem because he's gonna cut us in pieces. Now it doesn't mean that he actually sawed him in pieces. You've heard of the days when they used to take a criminal and they would put him to death by, by drawing and quartering him with horses, you know, and the horses would run off in four directions and their arms and legs would fly in four different directions. In those days, what they would do is they would take someone, they would take trees like this, they would bend them down, tie them together, tie their arms and legs to the trees and let, let the tree, trees go and you'd just go flying everywhere right? Sheets to the wind, I guess, <laughs> you know, you're just everywhere. And then they would burn down their house, which was common as a warning. They would burn down the house and they, in a sense would put police tape around it and say, no one can build here. Just as a warning, you better obey the king, right? And that was a common thing in ancient cultures. Now, verse six goes on. It says, however, this is the king speaking, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honors. Therefore, tell the dream and its interpretation, So you're either going to die or you're going to be elevated and blessed, right? There's no two options here. They answered, verse 7, again and said, Let the king tell the servants the dream, and we will give its interpretation. And the king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till this time has changed, or till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give its interpretation. And so you can see that he pretty much has soured on this advice that he had been given. Ezekiel said this of the king of Babylon, He said, for the king of Babylon stands at the parting of the road, at the fork of the two roads, to use divination, he shakes the arrows, he consults the images, and he looks at the liver. And so these are occultic practices, and this is how they would make their decisions back in that day. Their advisors were occultists. But it seems like Nebuchadnezzar has soured on these guys because they've been wrong so many times. He's just frustrated with the generality of what the advice they're giving him. It's like when you read, um, you know, a horoscope or something, they give these generalities, and there's this expectation. So psychologically, you press your life into the generalities of what these horoscopes are saying. And every so often, they might be right, so that encourages you to keep on going, you know, but a broken clock is right twice a day, right? And so he's soured on it. Verse 10 goes on, The Chaldeans answered the king and said... There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Well, the problem is they're saying they know what the gods think. So he's looking at him and going, okay, the deal stands. Verse 12, for this reason, the king was angry and very furious, and he gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Now, here's the thing. Daniel and his companions were not in on that early meeting. Remember, they were the newbies. They were just hired. They wouldn't be in this high-level meeting specifically with the king. And so they're going, what? What's happening? Verse 14 goes on. It says, then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Ariok, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. Now, I want you to note here, Daniel, as a young man, probably around 20 years old, is careful in how he responds to the king's executioner. It says he answers with counsel and wisdom how would you approach this man? I wanna give him the best answer possible. So he's seeking counsel, and he does it with wisdom. He receives wisdom. Wisdom is applied knowledge. And this is not very common for a 20-year-old man. Sorry, guys, over here. But (laughs) I was a 20-year-old man once, believe it or not. And what what maturity does in the Christian life is this. We, We all react. And and when we're younger, we, we tend to react without backing up and thinking, how should I react? And so there's a lot of recovery that has to take place, right? But as you get older, you've learned through a lot of battle scars and wounds that maybe I shouldn't react as quickly. Maybe I should shut my mouth. But the Bible says all kinds of things like take every thought captive, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh answer stirs up anger. Again and again and again, it says this. And so I want you to know, I'm just like you, right? But now my mind reacts, and then my spirit fights against my mind, my spirit fights against my flesh and says, okay, back up, buster gather your thoughts and take your thoughts and commit them to God and respond how I want you to respond, right? The Bible says, be angry and do not sin. But it's so cool to see the wisdom of Daniel that he captures his thoughts early. Like, could you imagine, like, you guys are gonna die. I just got the job. Come on, give me longer. You know, I'm gonna sue, you know, whatever. It's like, this response is crazy. But but Daniel, with counsel and wisdom, responds. And the Christian life very much is not so much in reacting, it's in responding, right? And, And as you mature, you want that time between reacting and responding to get shorter and shorter. And you want to catch yourself before you wreck yourself, right? And so think about Aaron. Aaron was Moses' compadre, his right-hand man. Moses goes up into the mountain to receive the law, this holy time up on the mountain, and God meets Moses up on the mountain and gives him the Ten Commandments. Moses comes down the mountain, and what does he find? A bunch of naked Israelites dancing before a false idol, a golden calf. What? You're God's people. What is the deal? And so Aaron is supposed to be in charge. Aaron's busted. And he's reacting instead of responding properly. The proper response of Aaron should have been, I fell to the pressure. I blew it. Please forgive me and petition God on my behalf. But what does he do the first time? Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? And then Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people, you know they're set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And he said to them, however, excuse me, and I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and a calf came out. a leader leads people but he said this people did this to me and i just went with them and then his calf walks out after i threw the gold into the fire liar <laughs> you know it's it's not the truth but he doesn't respond he reacts and it's so much more important to respond instead of react and respond in a godly way don't be a fool proverbs 29:11 A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now, if you've been married for a decade or two or three, like me, how good is this verse? Like, if you could just live this early on in your marriage, ladies and gentlemen, right? Oh, how how much hurt we could have avoided. How much miscommunication we could have avoided. You know, it is so important just to catch your thoughts and go, okay, God, how do you want me to respond? You know, and I think I probably still make faces, you know, trying to, you know, whatever, in whatever situation it is, you know, how, how am I going to respond? But the, this is so, but don't be a fool. Take those thoughts captive. Don't just vent freely because it just reveals your flesh and it causes damage. And so you can imagine Daniel could have responded crazily, and that we wouldn't have the book of Daniel. But what did he do? He responded with counsel and wisdom. Verse 15, it says, He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king its interpretation. You can imagine how refreshing this is for the king. Because he's not saying, we can't do that and you're being unreasonable. Daniel is saying, you have asked us to do something, would you just please give us time because I would like to fulfill your request. So different, isn't it? Well, why? Well, Because he has faith. He has dependence upon God and it's the true and the living God. Verse 17, and Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Babylon named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the men, the wise men of Babylon. So Daniel and his friends are faced with an impossible situation. And they respond to the situation with prayer. James chapter 5, or 1, verse 5 If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you need wisdom, ask for it, and God wants to give it to you abundantly. Now, what makes James chapter 1, verse 5 even more impactful is the context of James chapter 1. Because that famous verse that we that that you hear people quote at you when you're going through a trial (laughs) I don't like it when they do this, but in the middle of a trial people will say, Consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you face various trials, you know, or trials of various kinds. But that is the beginning of James, right? Consider it pure joy, my brethren. Not, oh, goody, goody, I get to suffer. But you know what? I'm going to learn something from God. And I'm going to go into a little bit deeper dependence with God. And I'm going to come out of this more mature. So he says, consider joy when you face trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work that you may not be lacking in any good thing. And then this verse, which is, if you need wisdom, God wants to give it to you. And what is the context? trials, right? It's that point where you come to dependence. You're overwhelmed. You don't know what to do, and you go and you pray for the Lord to give you wisdom. And that's the best thing you can possibly do. And so they pray. Verse 19 goes on. It says, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. And He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. And so, what does He immediately do? He praises God. And He says this of Him He says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. And verse 21 He changes the times and the seasons. This is interesting. Now, first of all, I want you to note, personally, I care about the environment. I would be called a Christian environmentalist. I'm not an environmentalist like the world's an environmentalist because I worship the God who created all things. I don't worship the creation. I think the creation is incredible, and God gave it to us as as a gift, and he told us, take dominion. He told Adam, take dominion or take care of it. I'm also a surfer and I'm very intimate with the ecology of the earth, right? Because everything runs into the ocean. I like the oceans to be clean. I like to drink clean water and I like to breathe clean air. I think we have a responsibility to do so, right? God gave this to us. But the problem with environmentalists is they say the earth is God and they worship the earth instead of the creator of the earth, right? And what are they saying now? Well, they're saying we as humans are the problem. You need to understand a few basic things. Every time that a volcano explodes, it's like a 100 years worth of human pollution. One volcano. And volcanoes, if you go on YouTube and you start looking up active volcanoes today, they're, they're going off all the time. They're spewing out so much, there's no way we could ever catch up with a natural event like volcanoes but they're telling us that we're changing the environment and we're adding uh, your carbon footprint is ruining God's earth. Who's in charge ultimately of the temperature of the earth? God, God is. As Christians understand this, don't get sucked up into this craziness where we need to reduce the earth's population by 90% in order to save mother earth. God gave the earth to humans, and humans were created special for God to love and enjoy, and for you to love and enjoy him back. Okay? And God is in control of the times and the seasons, and if the earth is warming up a little bit, it's God. Should we take care of the earth? Listen, don't pollute. I'm not for polluting at all, uh, I don't like drinking out of plastic bottles personally because I don't like surfing with plastic bottles. <laughs> you know? So as much as I can, I'll use things again and again and again, you know, just things like that. I'm not, you know, but but I, I'm not gonna sacrifice a human being for the earth which doesn't have a soul, okay? And, and, and was just spoken into existence through, through God and, and for you to have a relationship with God, God died, right? And so I don't see the, the, the value difference. And also understand this, you know, so volcanoes just spew out and just blow away the whole argument. And if you removed all the carbon dioxide from the earth, we'd all die as well as every plant on earth and every other living thing. Just understand that. And also understand this, if it's global warming instead of just change, right, but they go back and forth, many, many, by, by a great multitude factor, die of cold rather than heat right, you know, and so you, you hear these things, you hear these things, we're gonna have this wave just overwhelm us, listen, if, if, if the waters rise, we can move, it's not gonna be a tidal wave, okay, we can move inland, you know, I think my house is at 28 feet, I might have waterfront property soon, <laughs> I don't know, but anyway, so I'm, I, the thing is, when these people say this, they don't have God in mind, you are a Christian, don't, you know, take care of the earth, don't pollute i'm totally into that but the thing is the lie that the humans are the problem is the problem and that's a lie from satan okay Und- just understand that understand your bible who's in charge of the- who's ultimately in charge of the temperature and and the seasons on the earth god is okay understand that but it is interesting that later on the antichrist who comes yet future the instead of christ who's possessed by Satan himself, Daniel says of him in Daniel, in a prophecy in Daniel chapter 27, it says, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High and persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and the law. And it's the same phrase, seasons, there. And he's going to attempt to change everything that God put in order against God. So this is the Antichrist. Antichrist. And it's very interesting, and if you get into uh, prophecy and all this, it's, it's amazing some of the things, the parallels that we see here. And so it also says there that God removes kings and raises up kings for his purposes. Understand, at this point, Nebuchadnezzar is anything but a believer or a faithful man. He was brutal. And if he wants someone put to death, he just put him to death like nothing. He was that powerful. And people were absolutely afraid of him. Later on, I think he actually changes his heart in chapter 4, as we will see later. But he is amazingly powerful and amazingly brutal. And whoever he wants put to death is put to death. And so this is a, a, a very uh, serious thing. But how was Nebuchadnezzar ever allowed to be put in power? God allowed it. And God had prophesied before Nebuchadnezzar was ever powerful that the nation of Israel or the the nation of Judah would eventually be punished by him. And so God is using this guy who thinks he's all that as a pawn. And, And here's the thing. I want to be a part of God's plan. Or I can be rebellious and still be a part of God's plan. But if you're rebellious and and you're a part of God's plan, you get no credit for it. You get punished for it. But if you go along with God's plan, you get to celebrate with God and he rewards you for desiring to be a part of his plan. Let me put it this way. In Philippians chapter two, it says, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So there's going to be a day, yet future, where every single human being on earth that has ever lived is going to be resurrected, and they're going to all bow before the throne of God. And they're going to bow before Jesus, and they're going to profess him